Podcast Time Out for Mental Health is where we speak to sports figures, mental health experts, and leadership gurus about their experiences as it relates to mental health issues associated with depression, masculinity, and suicide. These sensitive topics are often swept under the rug, as detailed in my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, masculinity, and suicide. Getting a handle on a man's masculinity will improve relationships, both personally and in the workplace. Everyone needs some support to ask for help when they feel off or a bit disoriented and foggy and don't know what is really going on with them. If they do not seek help, their behavior can turn dangerous, including alcoholism, drug and pill addiction, anger, fighting, violence, and in some cases, death by suicide. On Time Out for Mental Health, we want to uncover these issues so men and women can live a happy and healthy life, even though they do suffer from mental health issues. Our guest today is Wendy Friesen, all the way from Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, one of my very favorite places in the world. Hello, Wendy. Aloha. <laughs> yes, aloha. Good to meet you here. This is great. I think your uh, podcast is serving a really big purpose, sounds like. Thank you much. We're glad to have you here. Since uh, a little bit about Wendy, since 1994, Wendy's website at wendy.com has influenced the lives of millions worldwide and brought insight, wisdom, and spiritual growth to people in need. She's often described as a powerful healer, teacher, and a creative marketing expert, and is said to be one of the most loved transformational trainers in the world. As a flat broke single mother of two with no resources, money, help, or partners, Wendy created a transformation business for devoted followers who seek real change. Wendy has created over 300 programs on audio and video that will teach you how to really use your brain. I need that. The programs lead, lead you through a process of changing your brain's neural networks, the chemicals of depression, and the habitual and compulsive thoughts that prevent them from being happy. Wendy's work with medical hypnosis has freed people from chronic pain, ending debilitating phobias, released the effects of PTSD, ended the torture of relentless migraines, and cured many so-called incurable conditions. It's remarkable what the mind can do when given the right stuff. Her recorded programs use powerful therapy that rewires the neural pathways in the brain and results in amazing outcomes. Well, Wendy, we're glad to have you, and our audience is interested in the long version of your personal story. Can you tell us little bit about your story and how you got here today and take your time. When I was uh, starting the hypnotherapy training, I did not know anything about hypnotherapy. I had no clue what it was, but my current business that I had, which was two tanning salons and clothing stores, they were closing down mm. and the economy was getting a little rough and I saw a tiny ad in the classified section of the Sacramento Bee, which was weird because I don't usually read the newspaper, much less the classifieds. And for some reason, I saw this ad that said hypnotherapy school. 
And it was just a tiny little ad. And I called them up and they said, it starts tonight. And it's, <laughs> and then it's four days a week plus a Saturday and it's six months long and it's thousands of dollars. And I said, well, I don't have any money. <laughs> um, and they said, well, just come to the first three classes. It's no charge to come to the first three. So I went that night. I was amazed from the very first night. I was just wowed. And at the end of the class, she did a session to all of us, had us all lie down on the floor and are all lying down there getting really relaxed, melting into the floor. And she's talking about all the stress leaving our body and that now we're floating. And I had this ethereal experience with just this beautiful golden light all around me. And the feeling was like, everything had been released, all my fears, all my concerns, I was just free. And it, it felt like I was meeting another version of myself. And that feeling stayed with me, as you can probably tell right now, that was so long ago. And I still remember how much I loved that feeling. So I stayed in the class, started seeing clients, and I found out that there was a reason for me to see that ad in that paper that day. <laughs> wow, that was great. That was great. Well, let me frame our discussion and then we can drill down into some specifics. Let me ask you, how would you describe your style that you use in the work that you do? Is there a central message that you try to get across? Yeah, and that's kind of a complex question, but every hypnotherapist does have a different style that they use. So some of them are pretty much direct suggestion and they're just telling you what you're supposed to feel or think. Some of them are focused on regression to cause. And I do a lot of what we call regression to cause, which would mean like if you're struggling with an alcohol problem, I would ask you to go back to that very first time when you had those first feelings about alcohol, whatever they were, however it was happening, just let yourself go right back to that moment. And so I do lots of that. And then I also take people into a future moment. And I'm very, very good at creating this future you that's going to have these certain values and strengths and the way you're living your life and also letting you discover what you're doing in your future. So one of my clients that he was a big alcoholic, he said, everyone knows I'm just a fat slob drunk. That's all I am. And he drinks a case of beer a day. Oy. And, and he, when he went into the future, one year in the future, he, uh, saw himself as an athlete and he called me and said, you know, I just can't get this out of my head that I'm an athlete. It makes no sense because I'm not an athlete. I'm 45 years old. I'm a fat slob drunk. That's all I am. So anyway, after using the program, he started training because it was so compelling what he experienced in his mind. And he's been an Ironman oh. uh, competitor all over the world. He's even come to Kona. Um, and he's been doing that for, it's been, I think, almost 20 years now. And had he not had that future moment that was guided by me, but I never suggested that he was going to be an athlete. I just said, what are you doing in this future? Had he not had that, maybe he'd still just be drinking his case of beer a day. But that's the thing that I specialize in is getting you to release the things in your past that are causing the issues and then discover yourself in the future without having to think, okay, what do I want to do? I got to write down my goals, you know? So that's pretty much an overview of what I do. Cool. That's, that's, that's an amazing story. So in what you do, what's been the most challenging aspect of your work? 
Uh, some of it is credibility. I'm, you know, what we call a certified hypnotherapist. There's no licensing for hypnotherapy, but there are still people that feel it's kind of a parlor trick or because of stage hypnosis shows that it's like, okay, I'm going to make you bark like a dog. And I like to get people out of that frame of mind and understand how this is something that goes really well with the medical aspects of healing. And I work with doctors, I work with psychiatrists with their patients and help, you know, have them help me and I help them with patients that need this kind of work. But that would be probably the difficult part is there's still a lot of people who are, <laughs> as soon as they find out I'm a hypnotist, they're like, whoa, don't look in your eyes. Don't look at my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I, I have a funny story because I, I went to see a, a hypnotherapist and, um, you know, I would sit in this chair and we'd talk for a few seconds and then he'd ask me to lean back and just close my eyes and he would talk a little for a few minutes and then most of the time I, I would go out and go unconscious and and then <laughs> a lot of the times I, I woke up and there he was asleep. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> Oh my I'm like, god. I'm like wondering what what's what's going on here, you know? But, <laughs> but he was a great guy and I really learned a lot from him. So it's just, you know, he was an elderly gentleman, but he he really knew. He had to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He he was listening to his own words, then boom, he was out. Anyway. It's interesting because when I was seeing clients in my office and my office was so comfortable. And I had a chair that was high and had my own headrest, soft music's playing. There's a little candle lit and boy, sometimes I got really tired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm describing all this relaxation. Um, something you mentioned, you said that he had you go unconscious. So we don't become unconscious. If anything in hypnosis, you are actually having a heightened state of awareness where your brain is alert enough in, in a special way to absorb the suggestions and the experiences. So yeah, we never really go unconscious except for your hypnotist apparently. Did. <laughs> Funny. Okay. So let me ask you, this is, you know, I guess some of your clients probably have some pretty heavy duty issues. So did you ever feel that, you know, overwhelmed and feel that your, your effort at this level was just too challenging? Yeah. And one that came to mind when you said that is um, someone who was having some really serious psychiatric problems. And I did keep in touch with his psychiatrist while I worked with him every week. And he had a wish to kill people, including his parents. And he had been diagnosed as schizophrenic, um, but he was a really nice guy. And I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to just say, no, I can't help you. But I did talk to the psychiatrist, and then I also got in touch with a psychiatrist who had written a book about schizophrenia, and she would talk to me every day after our session, after my session with him. So I learned a lot, and what the mental health community couldn't do for him, I did, which is not because like I'm, you know, I'm some big hero, but using the hypnotherapy skills, sometimes we can get things to shift and change that can't be done through medication or from doctors and psychiatrists. So one of his big breakthroughs was 
when I asked him to go back to a certain thing, I don't remember what it was, but he went back to being like two years old and was just so full of pain and confusion and describing it to me. After that session, he went home and his mother called me the next day and said, I've never seen him so loving and so genuine. It's like he's woken up. I can see him in there and he hugged me and I have my son. I'm really looking at my son. And this happened as a result of that one regression session. And I did a lot more sessions with him and he made amazing progress. That's great. That's great. Well, let me ask you, do you ever come back uh, from these sessions and, you know, you feel like it, it's affected your feelings and emotions and, you know, how, how do you deal with that? Do you ask for help or how, what do you do? Yeah. Well, I, I had a network of really good professionals when I was starting out and they spent a lot of time on the phone with me and in person and locally people that I know but it was good to have them be other hypnotherapists because they understand what we do and they understand the intensity of some of the sessions. And it's just not talk therapy. We're doing things that blow our minds and things that, you know, we have to, we have to keep thinking the entire time what to do next, how to handle this, or, you know, like a, a woman who was there for uh, alcohol and asking her to go back to the first time that there was something significant about alcohol that had an effect on her. And suddenly she's this little baby lying in her mom's arms and she's remembering, I think she said she thought she was about three years old, but she's remembering her mother putting her down on the floor. And now she's crying and she's crying and her mother went away and mother comes back, picks her up. And she says, Oh, I can hear it. She went to get a she has a glass. I can hear ice tinkling because her adult self knows what's happening now where she couldn't have thought this up, you know, as a child says she went to get a glass. I can smell the whiskey and I can hear the ice cubes and now she's holding me and now I'm now I'm okay. So <laughs> something like this is like so intense because you're with someone whose state of mind is now opened up to some really good possibilities and you don't want to screw it up. So from there, it was having her adult self understand that the smell of whiskey, the sound of ice in a glass, the act of drinking alcohol was connected to feeling loved because that's when her mom was holding her and the smell was continuous every time. And that, that just meant love for her. And then she never drank again. She just quit. That was it. We unhooked it. But yeah, sometimes it's a little bit unsettling that, and for other hypnotherapists as well, even ones who have been doing it as long as I have, that you're, you have so much that you can do and so much at stake, and you want to make sure you're doing the very best work you can. So your hypnotherapist who fell asleep on you <laughs> hit a little different level of, um, <laughs> of logic. <laughs> That's funny. Well, let me... I want to touch on masculinity for a second. Um, where did where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Sacramento? No, I actually grew up in Boca Raton, Florida. Oh, yeah. Nice. And then my dad moved the family of five kids and his wife out to the valley in California, in Kingsburg. And my dad was a preacher, and so yeah. he bought a church, <laughs> a little oh. tiny church in the valley, a little super tiny one. 
And my mom played the organ. My sister played the piano at church. And Bible study was in our house. And I grew up preacher's kid. That's great. Well, how would you characterize your father as a man? Was he tough on you? Did he ever show you love? Discuss his emotions and feelings? I felt invisible. I did. I didn't feel I mattered to him. And Mm. I didn't get any attention at all. Uh, When it was time to get out of high school, I went to the local, a local college that I paid for a hundred percent. I got no help and the boys in the family got everything they wanted. It was tough. I like my father. He's brilliant, but that was a, that was a hard one that my sister and I didn't matter. So what, why do you think that is? I mean, do do you think like the masculinity norms of the past and present had something to do with that? Yeah. Yeah. And in his family, you know, he grew up in a way that it honored what the men do. The men do the important stuff. The women stay home and have babies. That's not his fault, but that's what he learned in his upbringing. And of course he overcame it in a lot of ways. And when I started doing the work that I'm doing, um, he was incredibly proud of me, but, but it was, what did he say? He said, like, in trying to say that he's proud of me, he says, he turned it back on himself. That it was him who somehow created this. He says that he was actually turning it back to him being the one that was masterful. And when I was so broke in the beginning and I just wasn't making money, one of the sessions I did on myself was to go into this future timeline and go all the way to one year in the future and be wealthy, comfortable, successful, all these things. But along the way on that path in my mind, there all of a sudden was this big wall and it was just huge and it was stone and really sturdy and just big as it could be. So I asked that wall what it wants and the wall wrote on there, your father. Mm. So the wall was my father. And I asked the wall, why is that my father? And the wall said, if, if you make more money than him, he'll be devastated, which blew me away. Where's this coming from? How would I have that idea in my mind? But it made sense after I was done with the session I did on myself, totally made sense because women are not supposed to show you up, be more successful, make more money. Right. And I had that somehow in my psyche, I had that belief in there. Hmm. That's a great story. Well, let me ask you where abuse fits into this puzzle that we all navigate in life. I I was abused as a child, verbally and uh, physically and emotionally, but I, I didn't even realize it until I left home. And you know, did some self-discovery and saw that and learned later on that, that that was from a doctor, that that was the, the genesis of my severe depressive disorder that's reoccurring, which sparked all my addictions. So you must deal with a lot of people who deal with, uh, you know, have had abusive experiences Where does this all fit in, abuse? Well, a lot of it is on a really base level of feeling unworthy. So what are they feeling unworthy of? And is it that you're unworthy of being loved? 
Is it that you're unworthy of looking good or unworthy of getting the attention of the professors in your college class or whatever it is that you, we want you to feel worthy of. And a lot of that comes from abuse. And you think, well, abuse is a pretty strong thing. And it, you know, being unworthy is not that bad, but, but it's at a core level that you're from the abuse, you are so unworthy, you don't matter, your feelings don't matter, your pain, your suffering doesn't matter. And now you take this into your life because you are unworthy of attention. And that was my big one too, as being unworthy. And I wasn't abused as such, except that, you know, my parents grew up in the area where they spanked like with a belt and that's kind of abusive, but it was normal then. But I, I did not grow up having confidence or feeling like I would do anything special in my life or that I had anything to offer at all. So I had to work on that quite a bit. <laughs> oh. I, I can relate. You know, when I got sober, um, I felt so defective as a human being. And to the point where I, you know, I had a butcher knife in my hand you know, aimed at my wrist. I, I just couldn't see the oh light at the end of the tunnel. But thank God I ran into this doctor who took four months. We met every week and he did research on me to properly diagnose me with that severe depressive disorder and gave me a remedy. And I've never felt better in my life. I mean, wow. I feel every day closer to my authentic self and uh, I love doing the work I'm doing with mental health and whether it's with people personally or in the workplace, it's, mm -hmm. it's, I really enjoy it. And, uh, so, you know, it's tough going through all, all these experiences, but you know, when you get to the other side, it's, I think it's a beautiful thing. Yep. It is. Were, were you ever challenged by uh, depression or any mental health issues growing up? Yeah. Um, growing up, I don't think we talked about mental health or nobody ever asked, you know, if you were doing okay. And it just wasn't a thing. But I felt um, ugly and unwanted. And I wasn't depressed as a child. I kept myself really busy doing, I was in marching band and in orchestra and doing plays and theater. I kept myself busy enough that I didn't get depressed. But the time where it really hit me, was uh, when my husband and I had split up because he had been seeing some other women and I had two little kids. They were like two years old and three and a half and I didn't have any money and it was really hard to pay the bills. And I got very, very depressed. And I would tell people that I can't put one foot in front of the other anymore. I just can't take another step. I told myself this repeatedly and told my friends. So I was at a farmer's market and I was walking around and I was going back to my car and in the parking lot, all of a sudden my steps slowed down and I stopped. And it was weird because I thought I have to get to my car and I was by myself. I couldn't take another step. And I, all of a sudden it rang in my head. You, you can't take another step. I just can't keep putting one foot in front of the other anymore. Physically, it actually manifested itself. And it took me a little while and uh, I <laughs> gave myself a little pep talk, said, okay, you're going to do it. You can get to the car. And I did, obviously, <laughs> made it to the car. But then I would just, I was on the couch, lying on the couch all day. I'd pick up my kids from school, bring them home. 
and mostly just sit and stare. I, I was really doing quite badly. It took go, finding this hypnotherapy school and learning about that to get me out of that. And that's what did it was, was taking that action and doing the sessions and the classes every day. Cause they, the teachers worked on us as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But I do understand how hopeless it feels to be depressed, how hard it is to think that you'll ever feel any different because it seems like that's all it's going to be and nothing is going to change it. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you have a couple of kids. Um, I want to ask you, how would you characterize yourself as a mother? Easy, tough, lose your cool, <laughs> yell and scream, show them love. Yeah. When I was, when they were young, because I was so depressed, I things were not really in control a lot in the house, but I wasn't like a yelling, screaming mom. There were times where I lost my temper, of course, but, but mostly it was really trying to show them a lot of love and try to keep that there and keep things active. Of course, me dealing with my own mental health issues, you know, made it a little more difficult. Um, but being a single parent is not a good life for your kids. You do the best you can, uh, but it's tough. So my oldest son, he, um, he was six foot four. He's a genius and had a IQ that was just like, I don't know, 155, he said. Oh, wow. He was so smart. And in school, he always got in trouble in like grade school and stuff because he was so smart. He was really bored. And this manifested itself in him really rebelling. And he just got angry and he got into addiction. He started doing lots of drugs in high school. And then um, after high school years and his adult years, he got into opiates and opiates took away all that pain for him. And then he, and he said, mom, it's only occasionally, and I will never shoot up. I promise I will never, ever shoot up. But of course, you know, he did, he started doing that, but here's this beautiful, brilliant, tall, talented man who just couldn't, once you, once you inject heroin, it's going to be the best day of your life and the worst day of your life. And it is the best feeling you'll ever feel. And it's the worst day of your life because you'll always remember how good it feels and how it took all your troubles away. So my son died three years ago of an overdose oh and he is 34 and it, it's just such a waste of a life. But a lot of the frustration of being a genius and getting in trouble in school all the time, it just, it just snowballed into that. And of course, you know, addicts do have a choice about not using drugs and trying to get clean. And I put him in rehab five times in residential rehab in his adult life. And on a spiritual level, Sean came into my life to teach me how to give a gift to the world yeah. with my addiction work. He was put with the right person to go through these experiences of five different rehabs so I could learn what they're doing wrong and why people are failing and why they're not getting clean or staying clean or sober. And that's one thing that I keep in my heart is that he came here to give that gift to millions of people who have used my addiction programs. Wow. Great. Yeah. <laughs> well let me ask you just a couple more questions. Um, so you've had a, a, geez, just a lot of different experiences. And I want to ask you, 
what you've learned from all those experiences? Is there one or two things that you can, that comes to mind that you can share with our, our audience? It has to do with discovering who you really are. The things we've just been talking about, we think that they define us, all of these experiences and our childhood and the things people did to us and our failures. And if you don't get to discover who you really are, you're missing out on the really best part of life. So for me, doing this hypnotherapy work, I discovered something about myself that I didn't even know existed. I just had no idea that I had these talents. And so I would say, if you, if you haven't been able to do discover who you are, because you're depressed or you're addicted or you're feeling really insecure or you've been living with shame all your life, you may not know that you were born to do something really great and that you have some talents. And for me to think that I can jump up on a stage in front of a thousand people and give a speech, I mean, you would not have convinced me of that 25 years ago. <laughs> but man, to get to get to find yourself, I think that's the biggest gift that I've had. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. <clears throat> My life changed when I went through self-discovery and was able to take a look back at who I was, what I was doing, why I was doing it, and what my part was in it. And boy, that I couldn't believe what an egotistical, immature queen I was, you know. So yeah. We need was- someone else to help us not just to point it out or to help us discover it, but how to get through it. And they say the only way to get out of it is going through it. But that sounds pretty scary to most people. I don't want to go through more pain or into it. So hypnotherapy to me is the way to go through it, but in a way that's gentle and healing and you will feel better in each session. You might have a painful session. You might have a time where you're experiencing your own inner child and you're experiencing it as real and especially when there's abuse but like one client that I had that his life was difficult as an adult and he came to to me for help and his dad had shot everyone in the family and killed all of them and they he thought his dad thought he was dead too but he didn't die and whoo to go have to go through that but only one session was spent going through the trauma and getting it to have a higher value and releasing it and forgiving, even though sounds pretty tough to do, but you get to forgive, not by making the person right, but because you're releasing yourself from the experience and the pain, but then you can have your life and you can discover who you are. You can have your talents and all these things stop being suppressed. Great. Well, one last question. Um, you mentioned your father, you had your son. How, how do you describe masculinity? Wow. I have worked with so many men as clients, and I've really gotten to know the inner aspects of them. And mostly I find that men are very insecure, even though they seem to have the confidence and or tough guy or businessman they are often just really scared. There's a lot of fears and they are so scared of rejection. And to have really good mental health and masculinity, I think it's truly embracing that you are a strong and confident man who makes good decisions. You're also vulnerable, but you're no longer 
a scared little boy that's, you know, every time you're uh, criticized or you're put down a tiny bit or something happens, you don't revert to that, that scared little boy. But yeah, confidence and being your authentic self, which a lot of men, you know, they just don't know how to do that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to leave you with the, the, how I look at it uh, briefly. Um, I think there's a, a three-sided triangle that, that men have to have these three attributes if they're on the road to healthy masculinity. Number one is kind of obvious strength and not, not only meaning that the guy who can, you know, lift the refrigerator down the stairs and move heavy boxes, but he's strong in that he's willing to have those difficult conversations with whether it be his family, his wife, somebody at work. And he knows that, that the truth needs to be told and that it might not be easy for that person to hear it, but he's, he knows that it's, essential that that conversation be had. So strengthen that way as well, doing the tough things. And secondly, um, a man has to have a sense of humor and realize that life isn't so serious, you know, life is to be enjoyed. And so many men are so rigid in this way. And, you know, I think my dad was was always very light and I think he used he used uh, uh, comedy as a little bit of a deflection because he was closed down emotionally but it taught me um, how to be a little lighter and enjoy life and the third point is spirituality I think a man has to be grounded in some type of spirituality whatever his choice is there's, there's a million things out there that pe- that men can connect to, but I believe that they have to have that in their life uh, to help them, you know, quiet the mind and be able to listen to what's, you know, some of the messages are that they need to hear so that they can have uh, that authentic life that you speak about. Yeah. So, Maybe a lot of men misinterpret what it means to be strong. And sometimes strength also means being vulnerable and not having to have all the answers or thinking that I have to make this work. I have to figure this out. You know, I'm the one that's in charge. Instead, being vulnerable and understanding that that's where we all really um, meet up together is being vulnerable together. So they don't have to be that. Something you said about being strong and um, being healthy and having your spiritual life in balance. When I work with addiction to drug and alcohol addiction, there's a phrase that we create out of experiences that you had in the hypnosis sessions in your future self. So your future self is strong, which means that you have strength in trusting yourself, strength in making decisions and strength to help others. And then the other word is that you're healthy and healthy means spiritually and physically, and you honor your body and you keep your body healthy. And the third is in control and in control doesn't mean that you're controlling things, but rather that you trust yourself to stay in control. It's just an easy thing to do to decide for you every day that I'm, I'm in control and control of my emotions. Sometimes I'm going to be vulnerable.
little. Sometimes I'm going to go off the rails a little here and there, but I'm still, I can come right back to that. So in the hypnosis sessions, when you're meeting your future self in a year, I am helping you anchor these phrases that you are strong and healthy and in control. And the success I've had with drug and alcohol addiction with my programs and my methods are just um, unbelievable to me. It is people who have failed and failed for decades. And like an example, this one man was at a bar at a hotel because he was at a conference and he was drinking club soda because he had quit drinking a month earlier with my program. And his friend came and sat down next to him, didn't know that he had quit drinking. His friend bought him his favorite glass of whiskey, waved it under his nose. Oh, Now, you know, like olfactory, our sense of smell triggers memories like the best of any. And he said, when I smelled that whiskey, I knew I am strong and healthy and in control. That's what got triggered by the smell of the whiskey. Oh my gosh. And I really started understanding why the program is so powerful because it's the opposite of what um, AA and 12 step does, you know, an AA and 12 step would say, you can't sit at a bar. You can't look at alcohol. You can't, you know, be with people who are drinking. You can't hang out with normies, all those things. So what I've done is made all of those things to be triggers to make you feel better. So a woman in Sacramento stopped me in the grocery store. She recognized me. She's like, Wendy, Wendy, oh my God, I used your program to quit drinking. And she says, now when I go down the aisle in the grocery store where the alcohol is, I want to dance. It makes me so happy because I love myself and it just makes me want to just dance. And I know I look really silly, but it just makes me feel so good that I don't need it. It doesn't have any hold on me, which is just so the opposite of what people have been through with all the AA stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. We're, we were honored to have you today. Uh, Your story is quite remarkable. And uh, I think you're a real role model for the world today. So I wow, just wanted, thank you. Thank I just you. wanted to see if you had any final thoughts you'd like to share. Well, the main one is if you're struggling and you're depressed or you're insecure, or whatever you're going through or addiction that you're fighting, there is a way out of it. And um, it is about finding it, finding yourself and getting to experience who you really are. And even if you don't go see a hypnotherapist, one thing you can do is just relax your body every day. Take a few minutes to take those breaths and let yourself go into a future moment. Just imagine yourself going into the future a month or three months or six months, however long, when you're not struggling anymore, let your brain experience what it's like to be out of that struggle. So maybe you go only one month in the future and you let that whole thing wash over. You go, wow, I feel lighter. I think I feel a little more confident and I feel a little more brave or whatever it is. Your brain starts rewiring itself when you do that. And your old story is still there, but it's not as strong as it was. And it's not, it doesn't have as much power over you. If you do this every day, that those old negative beliefs and those identity issues that you had, they will start melting away. Great. Well, thanks for all sharing all of that. I really appreciate it. And so do our listeners. Listeners, please look out for our podcast, Time Out for Mental Health, wherever you get your podcasts, including the Mental Health News Radio Network and HealthyLife.net. And keep your eyes out for my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, 
a book about relationships, depression, suicide, and how toxic masculinity affects relationships between men and women. And contact me for speaking engagements through my website, timcrass.com, T-I-M-K-R-A-S as in Sam, S as in Sam.com, as well as my work with a company named Unity Lab that empowers people to activate their purpose at work. And don't forget, have fun, everybody.